I sense something is coming. I'm swimming out here in the water. I don't know what. snorkel again after we do this episode about the one and only Jaws. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. Not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cops. That's a 20-footer. 25. Eight tons on them. You're going to need a bigger boat. Listen here, Carlin. I think if people had had snorkeling masks more often in Jaws, more lives could have been saved. I don't know, Case. That water was murky. You couldn't see very much even with a clear camera lens. I don't think you'd see that shark coming. Well, hey, hit us up in the comments. Has a snorkel mask saved you from a killer shark? Like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us. Give us the story. Well, this is so fun because you were just here in the beautiful state of Florida for a quick trip and we were going to Universal Studios and we're like, let's watch a Universal classic. I don't know who suggested it, but Jaws came up. You'd never seen it. I had been a while since I'd seen it, uh, but we watched it and had a great time and then didn't sleep a wink after that. Who can sleep when there's killer sharks coming to get you? I mean, it's such a cultural shifter. Like it made such a big impact on pop culture. It impacted film in so many ways that you wouldn't even know about. Like, did you know that it was the first summer blockbuster? Yeah, I was actually about to ask that. I heard it referred to as the first blockbuster. What in the world? What does that mean? Movie season was like kind of in the winter time. I don't know why that's the case. But when Jaws came out and it was just on the heels of the book Jaws, which had gotten some popularity, but the movie is nothing like the book except for the fact that there's a shark in it. Um, but yeah, it was such a big hit. And then from then on, it kind of kicked off that summer movies was the new thing. We owe Jaws so much. We do. We owe Steven Spielberg and John Williams everything. Absolutely. Legends. You ever think about, we're living in the age of Spielberg and John Williams. I know they're both in their like 70s. John Williams might even be in oh, his 80s right never now. Never die, please. No, no, he won't. Don't worry about it. He's good. He's yeah, good. he's like Betty White. Oh, no. No, don't say that too soon. So Case, tell me what'd you think? What'd you think about Jaws? I like the way they build tension. It's fantastic. I mean, it holds up. The pace of the movie is slower than we're probably used to, but it holds up. Like I think about all the opening scenes Mm -hmm. with Martin Brody everyone's clamoring for his attention. From the first scene, he's in that chaotic little office and they're coming at him like, Chief, the kids have been doing karate on the fence again. Chief, hey, Chief, hey, Chief, we don't have enough time. Chief, Chief. The zoning laws and I needed you to approve this paperwork and blah, blah, blah. Yes, and just when he's like sitting on the beach trying to watch Mm -hmm. the water because he knows Mm -hmm. what's up and that one guy gets in his face like, Chief, I just need you to get down there and fix. And the guy's face covers two thirds of the screen but not the one third. And we, with Brody, are looking at that water because we We don't know what's going to come out of it. We haven't seen anything yet, but we know it's there. And then that girl screams, oh yeah, all the fake out moments. There's so many great fake out moments that make you truly terrified when the shark actually does come. But also there's moments where you're not expecting the shark to come. Like that scare when the guy's head floats out of the bottom of the boat. So scary. That's a jump scare. Scare the socks right off you. If you're wearing them in the water, which would be weird, but whatever. Maybe that's why you can't outswim a shark. Because you're wearing socks. All these dumb people wearing socks. Give it the program. Uh, (laughs) 
I liked Mr. Quint's entrance where he scrapes the chalkboard yeah. and then he's like, hey, Chief, I'll go after the shark for you, but I want $10,000. I value my hide a lot hey. more than just a $3,000. What'd he say? What'd he say? Say that again. That's right. Hey. Grab it. No, I don't know what did it. Yeah, what a memorable character, huh? What a, what a memorable You don't character. see him again for like 45 minutes either. Yeah. But then he comes back and you haven't forgotten him a second. Fantastic. <laughs> did that remind you of things you like about Jaws? Say more. Say more. What I liked about Jaws? Um, it's so fun to learn about. Like, everyone kind of knows about how the sh- the shark malfunctioned. Or, well, well, you know, I mean, tell the story. Like... Tell the story for those who don't know. Well, I'll tell it. Um, the shark was malfunctioning. And so they ended up having to re-script how they were going to portray the shark. And they ended up doing those point of view shots where the camera is the shark. And you're seeing the legs of the swimmers. And so apparently in the original direction of the film, the shark was going to be very present and very like in your face kind of from the beginning. And you would just keep seeing the shark, seeing the shark. But because of the shark malfunction, they ended up having to create all this suspense with the camera and the music. And then you don't really see too much of the shark until like that third act. But funny enough, that was so effective that now you can see it in almost every Hmm. film of the genre, especially uh, Hmm. like creature features. They will save the big reveal of the creature for a big impact moment. But Spielberg, like the master he is, rolled with the punches and gave us something incredible. So good. Casey, how do you want to approach this one? Because it reminds me a lot of Indiana Jones in that you're like, it's a little straightforward of a plot, but I believe in cinema snorkel and I think we can find some really interesting uh, topics to topic topic about. Jaws is such an icon of culture and it's a little bit like Hollywood shock culture. It dips into the things that I personally don't like about horror films like we're just watching the suffering Mm. for the sake of the suffering Mm -hmm. but for all that i think the story rises above those horror tropes and actually does leave us with a really compelling aftertaste it's not like a, a thinking flick it's very visceral maybe the most visceral you could possibly be yeah our mom is a good example she was a, a teenager in the 70s and like wouldn't go in her pool in their backyard after she watched Jaws. Her five foot deep swimming she pool. She was worried about a shark being in her pool. Like it got that generation. It hit them where they lived. It's very, very scary. Yeah. Well, there's this theory in horror and also in comedy. Actually, it's the same principle called benign violation. Have you heard that term? No. Do tell. A benign violation is something truly horrible terrible happens but if it's distant enough from you and your real present circumstances and real danger it becomes safe and now you can enjoy it and so if it's a joke it's funny and the the funny thing about jaws is that shark attacks for most people it's not near to their lives like most people aren't don't know someone who got eaten by a shark it's pretty rare which is why we're allowed to explore it in cinema and it can be a fun thrilling blockbuster yeah, that's, that is fascinating. Horror as a genre does try to draw on things that we're afraid of. Um, oh, yeah. That's why they paid me the Weird. big bucks to be on this podcast. And uh, Case, let's do a podcast and we can say all the smart stuff. The world needs the world to needs know. The world needs to hear this advanced theory of horror. It's there to scare you. Yeah. Um, okay, here's an example of what you're talking about. When Stranger Things Season 4 came out, okay, they had shot this, you know, months before prior but like the week that it came out there was a school shooting and the opening scene of stranger things is like this montage of a bunch of kids that have been murdered 
what originally had felt benign enough that I feel okay watching a movie about it. But when it became something that had actually just happened in the news, all of a sudden it wasn't benign. To be honest, that's one of the reasons why I don't like horror as a genre. I think there are some films that are engaging with themes that are good, but in the same way that you probably Mm. shouldn't make jokes about some things, we shouldn't do horror films about some things either. So I would say, and I know I'm at odds with dear friends Mm -hmm. on this one, and probably some of our listeners, I think a huge number of horror films shouldn't be made. I think there's a lane that's appropriate, but yeah, I'm reticent to endorse horror for that reason. I think I have a pretty sensitive dial on that account, so... And I'm not embarrassed to say it on the air because I, I just think... But here's the other thing, Carl. Jaws, um, the mm-hmm. experience of Jaws now in, encapsulates also like our mom watching it as a teenager. So when we're approaching Jaws, it's less it's less yeah. immediate to us. And now it in, includes all of the cultural energy and commentary around Jaws. And so what I'm approaching is definitely a cultural artifact. It's not a fresh joke even though it can say things in fresh ways because it's by and large good art. You know what I mean? It's different. Like Jaws now is a cultural phenomenon less than just a movie. Yeah. You're not just watching a movie. Right. You're watching a movie that our mom watched and you're watching a movie that there's been a ride made of Universal and like all this other stuff is like the foggy, murky water between you and a shark. What are the legs swimming, swimming, swimming in this metaphor? Those legs in the metaphor are the hapless victims of our podcast that tuned in to listen today. (laughs) 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 And they don't know what they signed up for. But they had enough warning, okay? So that's the thing about the people of Amity is they had plenty of warning. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just say this. This podcast is not primarily about what you should and shouldn't watch. There's a time and a place for everything, right? Mm. There are some movies that shouldn't be made carte blanche, but other movies that fall in that gray zone, like comedy, it often depends on the reception. It depends on the time and place. It depends on what you're trying to do with it. That is an appropriately gray area with which to delve in. So with that said, let's get our snorkel masks on and just jump into the water. So Carlin, what are the filmmakers trying to say Jaws. All right, here's my thought. I kind of thought we could talk about the trio, the main trio of characters, Mm. which is Chief Brody, Mr. Quint, and Hooper. Love it. And just talk about their character journey. And kind of talk about their character journeys because I think that really is... It's kind of a heroes beat monsters movie. And I think there's lots of themes within that. But overall, I see it as Chief Brody in his development as he starts out the movie from being afraid, out of place, awkward outsider to his path closer and closer to the shark till finally he alone kills the shark. It's not Hooper. It's not Quint. He kills a shark and then swims off into the sunset. He didn't even want to be there. He's afraid of water. He had to be talked into it by Hooper as he's sitting there with the bottles of wine. Yep. Right? So what do you think? You want to do that? I like it. I mean, can we just go through every character too, though? Because it seems to me like the thing that Jaws does is just put a shark in the water and watches how everybody responds. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, like the mayor, I think, is a fascinating character. What does he want to do? Keep the beaches open at all costs. I cracked up when he said the kids spray paint the billboard and he goes... This is a gross mutilation of a public service announcement. (laughs) 
And they don't even have signs that say beach closed. Like, first of all, what is a public service announcement? It's important. What struck me as funny, too, is just the, the dumb people of Amity Island. They're so dumb. When they all get in their boats, and they're like, hey, right, yeah. go over there. Hey, wait, my, my, steer well, port. Watch your port. And then they're, like, throwing the dynamite, <laughs> and it's like, whoa. <laughs> and then they catch the shark, the the lesser shark, yeah. and they bring it back, string it up by its tail. And, he, and he's like, say, you know what kind of shark this is? And he's like, yeah. yes, it's a tiger shark. And the guy goes, a what? What a meme. Hilarious. What a meme. <laughs> so they're idiots. <laughs> they're it's idiots. hilarious. But man, they really capture something about um, humanity that we are able to live in denial for a long time before we allow reason to break through and clarify our thinking. You know, mm. like they literally two people, right, have already died from a shark attack. The experts are telling them this is what's up, but nobody wants to believe it. And one is the greedy mayor. But the rest of it is people who just want to have their fun summer. And and it is true. Like, people are able to live in denial for a long time. Dang. Yep. Especially and ironically when it comes to having fun. We do lots of yeah. fun things that are terrible I ideas. Know. They're terrible ideas. So when a shark's in the water, what does police chief Martin Brody want? And what's his conflict? So he, the, the first inciting moment for him is when he sees that girl on the beach, Chrissy. It's like half of her. You know, yep. he sees something really horrible. We don't see it. That's again, they're they're withholding the full thrill and it creates the tension, man. It does the job. Yeah. But he sees something bone chilling. And from that moment, it confirms his worst fears, but he's not irrational. Like people want to brush him off like, oh, you're just afraid of the water. You've always been afraid of the water because of your childhood trauma of almost drowning. What happened to him? I can't remember, but something. But he is not overreacting. He is faced with real horrifying information and he has to do what he's responsible to do. So he's like, all right, we're going to close the beaches. We're going to blah, 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 blah. And then it's the other people that get in his way Mm. until they don't listen. They don't listen. And for a while, he's like, well, okay, I guess. I think he just assumes that everyone is going to do the right thing eventually. And he's like, he gets talked down from it for a little while. And they're like, we're going to send out a boat. We're going to have the experts kind of come figure this out. And he's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. And that's a little bit of relief for him for a while. But then he's sitting at the beach and he's not going in the water. And he doesn't want his kids to go in the water either. Like, go play in the in the estuary. Like, why don't we just stay out yep. of the... And then his worst nightmare happens. And there's that horrible scene where the mother is like calling out for her son. And she's the only one who didn't get her son back out of the water. Yeah. And his his world just turns upside down, you know. Man. And then she comes up to him later. And they're all having this jovial moment where they're like, yeah. we got the shark. We got the shark. Yay. <laughs> yeah, right. But the mom's like, my boy is dead. And you knew there was a shark in the water. And you let people go swimming. Yeah. And it's like. The voice of truth that's just been like a little whisper in the back of his mind yeah. gets dialed up to a real life person in front of him, confronting him with yeah. what he always knew to be true. Yeah. So I think at that point, he's like, okay, I'm going to do what it takes to take this shark out. Dang. And here's what makes us love him, right? He says, she's right. So who comes up to him and is like, it's, it's not your fault. You did everything you could. And he goes, no. Yep. No, I knew. And, and she's right. I could have fought harder. Oh, that's just the tough truth. But he's a hero for admitting it. Dang. Really awesome. How do people deal with unpopular truth, right? You <laughs> yeah. have the townspeople on one hand and, and yeah. the mayor versus Chief Brody. And he's there yep. to deal with the truth eventually. And he kind of goes on that journey uh, and does the right thing. Man's up and shoots the tank and explodes the shark, you know? Yeah, taking responsibility for what he knows, even when everyone else is is trying to stop him. And here's what else. He does it for the stupid people of Amity Island. Like, 
<laughs> he does it for the most reluctant, ungrateful group of sunburned beachgoers you could possibly imagine. Like, and, But he does it in the end. Yeah. So I think that's a solid theme. Here's my question, though, Carlin. Let's dive into mm. Mr. Quint and Matt Hooper. Yeah. Put a shark Ooh. in the water. And let's start with Matt. What's he there to do? What's his motivation? Matt, Matt Hooper. Tricky. I'm not really sure, actually. Right. He's kind of like this college-educated, like, shark expert, you know. Rich boy. Adventurer. We like him. Yeah, he's got all the tech and the gadgets and the gizmos. We like him, I think, for two reasons. One, he takes Brody seriously. He's the first person that hears about the shark. Like, when they catch the baby shark, he's like, this is not a large enough shark to have done the damage that we've seen. And even though he's a little cavalier about certain things, he's taking the major threat seriously. Yeah. And he's the only other sane person on the island. After I leave, you're going to be the only sane person on the island. That's a great line because it's true. We know it's true. So that's the first reason I like him. The second thing I like about him is that he actually does have some shark savvy. He's not just a book smart dweeby freshman. He actually, yeah. he's got the scars to show he's encountered some real sharks and he's lived to tell the tale you know yeah like that scene when they're all in the cabin and they're like swapping sailor stories oh. that scene is pretty awesome yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna lie dang can we can we break that scene down for a second and just sure. talk about like what yeah. how does it go so they're all kind of in the boat up till this point there's been a little antagonization between quint and hooper right which we haven't talked about quint yet too much but they clearly have some opposing values, right? Yeah. Quint's this old sea dog. He's just got experience and grit. So they're against each other a little bit. But the scene where they're all drinking and singing and laughing, and then they start sharing their scars, right? Yeah. And they're kind of like, yeah, hey, yeah, I see you. It's like this this friendship thing. They're, they're earning each other's respect. They're bonding. They're bonding. You gotta I, have bros. I, if you notice, too, Chief Brody the perpetual outsider right he's an outsider on amity he's an outsider amongst these these three guys he's on the other side of the room and they're sitting at the table i wonder hmm. if let me put this theory out there i mean they're still building tension with that scene the shark's sure. still out there they haven't caught yeah. it brody yeah. is nervous because he's like can we stay focused and get the shark you know like why are we drinking yeah. why are we going a little loopy right now and all of a right. sudden matt kind of the voice of reason is now chumming it up with quint I felt like, oh my gosh, it's a little bit like the townspeople 2.0, where these guys oh. are so salty and cavalier about this shark, uh, almost almost in a devil may care, a minute for the experience, I'm larger than life kind of way that made yeah. me feel a little bit like Brody is the only sane person on this boat. We thought Matt was pretty grounded, but look at him go. Yeah. You, you know, like even there's a couple moments where. Okay, like Brody doesn't want to go out on the on the bow of the ship to get the picture. And they argue about it. And Hooper's like, go, go, just, you got to get closer. You got to get closer. And he's like, oh, why? Why do I need to get closer? And he's like, well, if I don't see you in the picture, how am I going to know how big the shark is? Like, that's so scientific. But you kind of go, is he in this just for the science of it all? Like, is he yeah. just here to get famous for having found a great white where it's not supposed to be and proving his theory about like bull sharks and their hunting grounds? It, does he care about the families? Does he care about the moms and the and the kids and the, you know, the people who are victims? That's what Brody cares about. What do you think the answer to that question is, Carr? Does Hooper care or Ooh. is he kind of in it because he's kind of an adventure boy? Oh, man. 
I don't know. I, I... Either way, I'll say this. He's likable. Yeah, that's true. They don't keep him from being likable. Like, when he survives and they paddle away on the raft, you're like, oh, thank God. Like, I yeah. thought he was just done, done, done. Well, and the fact that he survives makes me want to say he's not just in it for the money. Like, and maybe he started out that way and he changed. I don't know. But if he changes, I don't think we see it because he goes away laughing his same signature laugh. Like, well, that was a sick shark experience, bro. Yeah. Like, you know, you're yeah. Like, a lot of people died, Hooper. You know, yeah, but whatever. Right, right, right. Um, well, and we could shift gears for a second and talk about Quint, too, because Quint. Okay, okay. So that scene, right? They're they're laughing, they're telling stories, and then he's like, oh, Marianne Mifflin, she broke my heart. Ah, ha, 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 ha. And then he's like, well, what about that scar right there? And he's like, oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. And he's like, no, what is it? And he's like, well, it was a tattoo, right? Well, what was the tattoo about? Um, it's from the USS Indianapolis. Okay. Oh, this is the battleship that delivered the atomic bombs to Japan. Then he goes into this horrifying graphic description of the men getting eaten by sharks and the tone just plummets oh man it's so scary yeah well i think we finally understand mr quint and his whole deal Mm. like when they Mm -hmm. were in his shack i'm like wow he's got a lot of shark jaws going on here (laughs) he seems like is this an unhealthy obsession (laughs) i was getting real captain ahab vibes from mr quint right he lost something to the shark and now it's his life's mission to just kill and punish as many sharks as he possibly can dang yeah right the deal with captain ahab obviously from herman melville's moby dick is that captain ahab uh lost his leg to a white whale and now his normal professional sense of whaling is eclipsed by his driving bloodthirsty desire to kill the white whale and what happens is he destroys almost everyone on his ship and himself is dragged to the bottom of the ocean by the white whale thus becoming a a literary icon for all time for unhinged ambition, right? So as I read it, Mr. Quint, textbook. This is a Captain Ahab on board the ship. And he dies in the exact way that he describes in that story. How so? Well, first he gets bitten in half, and then he gets dragged back and forth and pulled down under, swallowed Oh, And it's the opening scene. He says, that shark would swallow you whole. (laughs) And it literally does. Yeah. So are you saying the filmmakers are setting Quint up as a cautionary character? Feels that way. It feels that way. And that Matt Hooper, that scene where Hooper and him are drinking, Hooper's been Mm -hmm. a little bit of a mystery to us, but I wonder, he's then kind of showing his true cards there where like he's kind of in it for the adventure of it. He's not taking the stakes as seriously maybe as Chief Brody is. Chief Brody's kind of a stand-in for every rational person out there. And Jaws then almost is a cautionary tale. It's not as on the nose as um, Moby Dick. And that's because my guess is they wanted to be a little more fun than (laughs) Moby Dick, which I've tried to read on multiple occasions. (laughs) You're saying Moby Dick's not fun? (laughs) You know, they take a long time getting to the good parts. In Moby Dick. Although I do, I read it. So it's just want everyone in the world to know that I read Moby Dick unabridged. Oh my gosh. What I'd recommend an abridged version. Carlin, I'll, um, I'll just say it. You're better yeah. than me. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for saying it. So Quint, he dies. Cooper, he lives, but he doesn't really help too much. But Brody brings all these elements together, right? You've got Quint's guts and bravado and yeah. Hooper's like knowledge, right? 
and expertise. But the most important one, I think what the filmmakers are driving at, probably not in so many words, but that Chief Brody has the humility to take everything seriously and also the courage to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Come hell or high water, he because his motivation is correct. Ooh. Okay. The motivation of Quint and Hooper are both a little off. We like them. We need what they have. But the motivation is what makes Brody the hero. Because he cares about the people of Amity, even though they're not really his people. Like, he's a newcomer. He's an outsider. But he cares about public safety. Yeah. And that's why he's a hero. Well said, Carl. Well said. I think you nailed it. If I were to drill it down to three maybe themes, as one does, Mm. I wonder if we could say uh, the ways that people deal with unpopular truth, right? Mm -hmm. Denial and how persistent denial can be. I'm reminded of a Confucius quote where he says, those who know the truth are not equal to those who love it. Oh, Confucius. When'd you get so smart? Yeah. I think there's probably a Captain Ahab theme of like, kind of what you're saying. Like, you got to be in it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Like, an unhinged love of adventure or revenge is going to be maybe just as deadly as the apathy of all the people who just want to have fun. Yeah. But then, Carlin, I want to hit you with a third theme that I've noticed. And it's, I wanted to say like, respect for nature. But as I thought about it, I just feel like nature doesn't quite cut it because the shark is less like a normal natural phenomenon and more of like an unhinged bloodthirsty killing machine that is actually not found in nature. And I've heard other people say like the shark is almost supernatural. And so it's almost like a respect for the supernatural, like a respect for the unknown. Yeah, like a like an unknown threat. Not that it, there's anything spiritual about the shark, but that it's, I think it just kind of represents anytime there's a threat. Right. I don't think the filmmakers meant to flesh this out, but a lot of critics have been like, the shark is almost satanic. Oh. Again, that's probably just based on the visceral response we have sure. to it. But like when Quint goes, you ever, you ever see the shark's eyes, chief? Well, kind of like a dog's eyes, all black and lifeless. You know, you're like, ooh. Like it's freaky. Yeah. This isn't just nature as we know it. It's got a little extra spice. Which two people of the 70s, that's kind of sharks. Like we grew up watching Animal Planet. You know, we know that sharks are just predators and there's a place for them in the natural world. But up until kind of recently, popular opinion of sharks has been they are like evil creatures. Yeah, I think there's always been like a nuanced view of <laughs> sharks. But I think you're right. Like in the popular imagination, there was probably more room to just be like, they're the devil. You know, just blow them up. Kill them. Kill them. At least in uh, Moby Dick, which I read, I remember feeling kind of offended. This is hilarious because these sharks are coming in there killing all these guys, which is terrible. But I was like, wait, they're just doing what they're supposed to do. Like sharks are just like sniffing out some blood and biting people's legs off, eat, you know, you know? they're just biting people's legs, just cutting people break. in half. Um, it was funny that it offended my modern sensibilities and I'm not like a crazy environmentalist or anything. I just have a different, I think I have a different cultural imaginative of what sharks are. And in most lore and like human history, I think sharks feel like the monsters of the deep that we know very little about. Um, and they're primarily and only a threat to our safety and not really much else. And also there's plenty of them. You know, so kill a few, blow them up, yeah, you right. know, whatever. There's plenty of sharks out there. We're not going to, like, run out of sharks. Now we're like, oh. We might know, run out like, of sharks. If we keep throwing plastic in the ocean, you know, maybe. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe. But continue your thoughts. So you're saying it's not quite the way, like, Jurassic is. Right. 
even though in Jurassic Park, they literally tamper with DNA and recreate dinosaurs that wouldn't have been there naturally. It's not really about nature, but it is about... Life finds a way. Yeah, life. Life finds a way. Yes. And it's a tragedy in that sense. Yeah, but the shark in Jaws is such an anomaly that I I, I feel like it rises to the level of almost supernatural. Again, I'm reading that way into what the filmmakers present us, but I think that's easily the reaction most people get from watching it you know what i mean hmm. yeah it's saying more what do you mean when you say supernatural uh like how is it diving under the water and bringing all those barrels down it's like defying their expectations of what nature can do sure and that's right. the horror of it it's like i expect something like i'm coming at an evil or something expecting it to play by the rules that nature plays by right. and what's this it's walking backwards towards me. It's crawling on the ceiling. Ah, you know, like, it's it, that's not just a normal baby doll. Yeah, right. It's more than a creature. It's a monster. It is a monster. That's why Universal categorizes it in its classic monsters, right? Am I right about that? I'm, I don't know. Carlin, should we transition to our third question? What does a Christian worldview have to say about these? About sharks. Yeah. What would Jesus do? On Amity Island. Dude, Jesus would blow that shark up. (laughs) Have you seen those posters where it's like Jesus, but it's like it's a gym and he's bench pressing across. And it's (laughs) like Lord, like Lord's absolutely ripped. Yeah. Or I've seen one where he's like breaking someone's ankles in basketball, you know, he's like juked him out and they like fall down. (laughs) And he's like, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, hey, but Jesus ain't wimpy. I think that's what they're trying to say. And you got to applaud him for that. They're completely right. They're completely right about that. So, Carlin, what is a Christian worldview? How does it how does it reflect on the themes that Jaws is sort of evoking in people? Well, I guess the thing that strikes me is that Chief Brody, he's being as honest as he possibly can be. He's he's not overreacting. He's seen the evidence, right? It reminds me of the scene from um, Until We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, where there's this character, Orwall, who she doesn't really believe in the gods. Um, She thinks that they're, uh, like, if they're there, then they're cruel tricksters, and she deserves more clear answers. But there's this moment where she, like, looks up into the sky and literally sees for a second the, the palace of the gods up in the sky, and then she blinks hard and it's gone. And she is like, okay, that was weird. Um, But it was probably just nothing. It was probably just an anomaly. And then she goes on and lives the rest of her life as if the gods either aren't real or they're cruel. And they should have given her more signs. Hmm. But the truth is, she had everything she needed in order to believe. But she did not take it seriously. She deceived herself. Hmm. And I just, I think Brody being the hero who sees the evidence... And then acts on it. Like, he's the most fearful character in this movie, but his fear does not stop him from doing what's necessary. What do you think about that? I think one of the courageous things that Chief Brody does is investigate to get more information. And, like, you're talking about C.S. Lewis's character in Till We Have Faces, and she chooses not just to, like, disbelieve based on the current evidence available to her. She chooses, actually, not to investigate any further. And she could. She saw the castle. Why not cross mm, the river yeah. and try looking again or, uh, you know, like do more to try to get more evidence? And I think to me that speaks of uh, a really biblical theme, which is just 
the human capacity for self-deception is limitless, you know? Our first problem isn't just that we don't know what's true. I think our first problem is we don't always want to know what's true. And so, you know, like the mayor is like, they come back, they've just seen this dead dude in the boat and the shark killed him. And and the mayor's like, so you have the tooth, Mm. right? And they're like, oh, uh, no, I dropped it. You know, (laughs) on on the basis of that, he writes them off. It's like a minimum amount of effort to like observe a little more if you cared about the truth, could have uncovered everything, but you don't want to look. And so... I don't know. To me, that's one of the most powerful. I think the courage you're talking about is so real and it's there, but I think the context is against like willful ignorance. And I wonder how many times in my life mm-hmm. I want to be willfully ignorant of something uh, when that when the right thing to do mm-hmm. is to press for more information. So what what is a biblical worldview? What's the answer for that then? What should we do? I, I think we're even using this phrase biblical worldview, which I think is absolutely appropriate, but I just think it's a a deeply human intuition as well. Like you don't even need the Bible to, to show you the ways that humans prefer not to look at the truth. Um, and that is in every context. I mean, mm-hmm. the overt one would be spiritual context. Like what's the truth about God? We'd just rather not deal with it. Um, even if it's good news, I think we'd rather mm-hmm. not deal with it, let alone the, the bad news of our own predicament before God. But I think it also just plays out on so mm-hmm. many ethical questions. Like, I think of the um, a book called The Banality of Evil by Hannah Arendt. She was a Jewish political scientist who covered the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was instrumental in helping the Third Reich mm-hmm. run. And she just noted Eichmann's persistent defense, which is that he didn't know, he was obeying orders, he personally had friends who were Jews, et cetera, et cetera. His job was just to keep trains running. And she's like, the silliness of it is that he just didn't bother to look and he should have he had enough knowledge of what was Mm -hmm. going on that he should have gone down and looked but even in situations where he's like adjacent to or in a concentration camp briefly he allowed himself to not take in the full Mm -hmm. weight of evil and that's something so obvious and so easy to do Arendt wrote that nearly everyone in Germany is guilty of the same crime And so we're going to execute Adolf Eichmann, but what about the millions of German people who saw the smoke and they knew what was going on with Hitler and they had just enough warning and they didn't bother to investigate more? She says, evil is not uh, less evil for being banal. It's it's actually just, it's so easy and stupid, really. Like the guy who's the tiger shark, like, what? Like he just doesn't even know what it is. Well, people are going to die because of that (laughs) ignorance. And so it's the small things. It's the little choices you make. Uh, to take evil seriously, for one thing, that add up to the big things. Yeah. No one thinks they're going to be Adolf Eichmann, but in a sense, we all are because we all make silly, stupid yeah. decisions to avoid looking directly at evil in our lives and around us. Were you the one who was telling me that um, citizens in Germany, like, were, there's like a, a national, well, it's not really a holiday, but it's a day of remembrance where they're forced to go stand in the fields where... Um, wow where the concentration camps were. They're like, it's like they're required wow. to go stand out there for like I, an hour or something in silence. Just to, to they were like, you know, less than a mile, like a matter of acres from their little villages. They were, wow. they were gassing Jews, but they didn't know. Yeah. But they could have known. It also kind of reminds me of what Esther says. So that conversation she has with Mordecai, she's like, 
he's like, Esther, you are in the palace with the king and these Jews are about to be um, all executed and you need to, you need to go talk to him about this. And she says, you don't know what it's going to cost me. Like, I'm going to die. Like the last queen was deported because she was too like gutsy with the king and he didn't like that. So he had her exported. So I, I have some favor, but I don't really have like, um, I don't know what you think. I'm, I'm going to lose everything. And you're asking me to put my life on the line for this. And he says, first of all, the Lord's going to provide for the Hebrews. He's going to take care of us, but you will be found out eventually. And then you'll be found wow. to be a traitor to your people. But you don't know that you haven't been placed here for such a time as this to rise to the occasion and to be used as a, as a tool by God to protect your people. When we know what's right, you know, and we don't want to stand up because we're afraid it's going to cost us something. And it probably will. But the truth is, if you don't stand up, it's going to cost you everything hmm. even more. I love that. I think that's so true. And I think it starts with small decisions. Either way, you take a small stand for truth and it leads you to uncover more, more truth that leads you to take a bigger stand. Or you take a small step towards denial and it leads to a bigger one and a bigger yeah. one. And I think all of us are moving in one of those two directions at all times, you know. We might not yeah. face anything like, you know, the Holocaust or even a shark, you know, shark infestation. But the way we live yeah. our lives translates <laughs> to those big moments, whether we realize it or not. It happens in a brief little split of a second where you kind of sense like, okay, uh, yeah, uh, something more is going on here. But then the fear of what would really happen and I could lose this and I could lose that. Someone else will suffer, blah, blah, blah. We have like a long list of reasons why it's better for us to do nothing yeah. than to do something. And the truth is that might, it will save you. Convenience, your summer vacation yeah. of fun, like getting to just, you know, have a peaceful evening with your family or whatever little thing is at stake. Um, but you make those decisions long enough. And you're like you're saying, it sets you on this course towards when the big things come. You know, you could just as easily be Eichmann, where the decisions that you're avoiding are the ones that are destroying yeah. lives and, and, and yeah. evil is winning. Yeah, often what we're turning away from too is uh, just a vision of what evil is, which I just wanted to comment on, on that part too. Like when it comes to the respect for hmm. kind of the supernatural, I think one thing that Jaws mm -hmm. makes me ask is like, it's kind of a mindless evil, but a lot of times we kind of are lulled into this sense of security that like, nothing out there is like really truly that bad right like <laughs> um right. and yeah i think jaws makes me wonder like is there anything out there that is truly that evil again given that in the real world we understand sharks better than you know that the what yeah. is apparently true in the world of jaws that this thing is like a freak of nature you know and i know that 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 term evil could either like softly apply to the shark or I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what we're meant to take away. But to me, I go, there are some things that are just genuinely out there and they're evil and they are going to cause harm and destruction no matter what. And, and I don't know yeah. if most people today have a worldview that's big enough to hold that kind of. It's like you got to hold the humanity of other people at the same time as the reality that real evil, real darkness does exist. And, it, and we got to face up to it. You know what I mean? Are you talking about in terms of um, 
like the shark being this this like freak thing that happens or are you talking about people who are capable of real evil well i think we've been talking about people and i guess to the extent the shark is a little supernatural it just makes me think of uh supernatural evil in the real world Mm. or like a source of true evil Mm -hmm. unpersonhood mindless killing yeah if i were to think about it i could probably write a killer sermon on the way that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the shark actually does mirror Satan a little bit. Yeah. Scripture gives us a lot of portraits of who or what Satan might be. But if God is the definition of personhood, then the further away from God you get, the closer you get to unpersonhood yeah. and disorder and chaos and bloodshed. And I think Satan embodies those elements pretty well. Not that he's in any way equal to or like some kind of rival to God, but just that in a world that's lapsed into evil because of uh, because of choices yeah. of autonomous agents, you know, there's a there's a chance for that kind of evil to run wild on the earth. The uh, portrait that we get from um, Paralandra, it, which is the second book in the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, it's mirroring Adam or Eve and her conversation with Satan. But you spend like a good two chapters just hearing what the enemy has to say, and he degrades from reason into just almost like childish uh, mimicry like he just is repetitive and and irrational and non-logical um and his logic parades as if it makes sense but then you poke a few layers down and you realize like this is really just anti-reason it's like anti-logic Yeah, I think it's way above the pay grade of Jaws. But it, but Jaws does make me think of the, a Christian worldview that says people are not our ultimate enemy. There is an ultimate enemy, though, hmm. besides them. So, Carlin, Jaws. Jaws. Ooh, fun. It's fun in the sun. It's a piece of culture, so go watch it, just not with small children. <laughs> and definitely don't watch it at one of those float and float and watch a parties you know movie. like at a pool yeah yeah oh a dive-in movie yeah that's a that, that, that's, that's the best dive-in place movie. to watch it <laughs> thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next next time we'll see you next time chiefy for a thousand bucks <laughs> <laughs>